give that shit up, you're going to concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Welcome to this week's edition of a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Bossy and Paul. This is the coaching podcast with a difference. We watch a movie, it might help if you watch it too, we get a special guest on, and we discuss the coaching from the movie and how it relates to our own experiences. So whether you're in the car, out for a run or a walk, or just using us to cancel out the noise from the kids in the background, we hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody, and thanks to Massey and Paul here again. Welcome lads. Hi lads, how are you all? Good things. Very good, and I'm delighted to say we are joined with Mr. Brian Boyle tonight. So, uh, welcome, Brian. Hi, lads. How are you doing? Thanks, Colin, for having me. No problem. Um, I suppose, look, first of all, for, for any listeners out there, you might give a, a background on yourself. A lot of them are probably familiar with your Twitter page, the Pam Ireland, but I suppose putting a, a face and a voice behind it for, for a lot of people might just give a, a bit more information on yourself. Yeah, thanks, um, Colin. Yeah, I suppose... Um, my playing journey wouldn't be something now that you'd be interviewing me about anyway if we were doing anything about that in terms of uh, hurling. It was it was fairly unremarkable career, really. Um, my coaching journey, really, I suppose, started when I was in 2004 at club level and um, with, with an under-21 team. And I suppose kind of touches base in the, the film. I've been very fortunate to people I've had around me or kind of linked in with over life that have uh, kind of shaped where I've gone. Um so went on to that and coached at various age groups, starting with under 21 in the club and then went into um, Camogie, was with Tip Minors, um, Tip Intermediates. Uh, then we went on to Tip under 16s, was lucky enough to have a bit of success there, which led into the Tip Senior job in 15, 16 and 17. Uh, don't think I did massive damage there, kind of came out of that then and went back with the Tip under 14s for a couple of years because it tied in with the studies I was doing at the time and back to some club underage coaching again with my club Drum and Inch. Um, and at the moment now I'm coaching Mary I Camogie teams and uh, I'm also a primary school teacher and principal by trade and I'm a PE tutor, primary school PE tutor with uh, Hibernia College. I think that's pretty much Easy man. <laughs> yeah, I sure look, I suppose, yeah. Um, and and just give a, a small bit of update, or I suppose just give an explanation, or uh, a small bit on the Pam Ireland. Um, I suppose the background to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I presume studies kind of led you down that route. A small. Bit. Yeah. Um. Look, Pam Ireland, physical activity and locomotor movement. I suppose when I was exploring where I was going studying, I came, as I said, I came out of Tipperary, Camogie Senior Panel in twenty seventeen, and kind of wasn't exactly sure where I was going, but knew I wanted to do a bit more research and go down into the sports science route and, and explore fundamental movement skills, really, and their their underlying significance. And um, I just went out there, and apart from the unbelievable work that, say, some coaches were doing around the country and the PDST were doing for PE, just found that there wasn't much in terms of a one-stop shop for resources. So it was sporadic, and it was just really in an effort to try and provide a a place where people could be familiarised with the name and, and, and could come if they were looking for, for PE content. You know, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a bit of a magpie. Um, you know, if I find something, I'll put it up there. I think something that would be useful to others um, and then have created a good bit of content as well. Um, that's really where that came out of and then have developed, uh, I suppose, part of the very Tipperary Camogie was kind of over the development squads and we would have done um, some athletic development for a number of years. 
with 13s and 14s with, with some of the programs that we put together based on those resources and that. And um, yeah, so I mean, it's kind of gone to strength, strength. It literally only started as Twitter and then we started putting resources together and the website, I suppose, was a logical follow on. And, and then kind of, I suppose, resources now have sort of reached the, 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 you know, kind of becoming to the end of that side of things, really, in terms of what I'm creating, but kind of decided then to try and put a, a mobile phone app together to try and make it more accessible, you know. Excellent, excellent. And just like you're, you're obviously you've coached across many different areas as regards, like obviously in a primary school, being a teacher by profession, you're working with young children. Um, like how do you see the difference of, of a coach, let's say from adults to college um, students to like teenagers with the 14, 16s and stuff like that? How, how, like, how much of a different type of coach do you need to be for each one of those trends? I, I, I think, and, and look, this, this is solely my own opinion, but I think you know, um, you need to be nearly a far, you need to have more stronger skills with, 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 with younger people, not just the coaching side of it, but, you know, you need to be, uh, have, have a more analytical mind because I think, you know, particularly I've seen it going back with our own club, um, you know, you have players who might be in, dipping in and out of county squads and development squads, and then you have young guys who, who uh, maybe are struggling really with the basics of the game, and they still have a place to play in the parish and in the community, and and in the teams in Ireland, so trying to marry all that together, um, I find far more challenging. And uh, you know, you're 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 trying to you're going into a session where you're kind of trying to challenge a specific group, and you're trying to assist another group at the same time. And um, you know, whereas I suppose when you come into county and you come into say colleges, you're dealing with a certain caliber maybe of player or a certain standard. So it, it it's I won't say easier. I mean, there's challenges there as well, but I just think that the the club and being at the cold face with the younger players provides a lot of challenges. A great place for any coach to cut their teeth, really. Excellent. And I suppose look, we better get on to the the, the chosen uh, topic of discussion, which was the film "When the Game Stands Tall." Uh, what was your incentive for picking this movie? <laughs> There's a bit of a story, I suppose. Uh, I was listening to a podcast in America a number of years ago and they were just touching on the, uh, it was around the time Ireland played the All Blacks in Chicago and they were just talking about the winning streaks of teams and it came up about this team that had a 151 game winning streak across a number of years and I just found it fascinating. I was with Tiberi Senior Camogie at the time and it just, we were struggling to win games and yet here was a team who threw out a number of different reincarnations of a group of players, like a different group of players every two, three years have managed to extend that to 150 games. Um, so just went researching it and uh, found the coach and he had a book, uh, which is is Chasing Perfection, which I have here. Um, I look upside down now, but um, the coach, what really spoke to me then, I suppose, is I just bought that online. You had to buy it from the coach's website and he sent it to me with a, with a personal note inside from America, I suppose. And I just thought, Here's a guy maybe who, who values leaving uh, leaving positive uh, you know outcomes with with engagements with people and trying to trying to have a positive effect on those uh, interactions. I uh, just went on then and saw the film and just I thought it spoke huge amount about the humility of the guy that the film starts when he loses his first game at 150, not at the start when he wins his first. And uh, I just thought that was something that you know spoke a huge amount about the guy. He's actually in the film quite a bit himself. If you if you look at some of the team talks and some of the stuff on the sideline, he's the guy who does none of the talking. There's one place, piece in the dressing room there where they're 
uh, on a really hot game where the, the weather is really hot and they're throwing guys into the into ice bats, he's in the back. That's that's him. That's the coach Ladisar himself. So um, it's not that it was influence. I just thought it was something different, and I just liked his approach to it. Like you know, the you know, in terms of not sort of um, putting the emphasis on this streak and winning these games, but trying to build character and trying to build individuals to to become good members of society, I know, to something that would be in our own school ethos. So I suppose that's what registered root me. Brian, um, Chasing Perfection, the book, it's good. Yeah, um, just, it, it is. It, it's very much Americanized in that it really goes into the technical side of the American football. But um, the beginning of it is, that, you know, the things that he holds, you know, um, dear, the principles, I suppose. And like, you know, one of the things that we would have taken out of it and I don't mind saying it now because I've gone out of it, is the, the idea, and you would have seen it in the film of the commitment cards and the players making a personal commitment to each other every every um, every week before they, they they went out and played. Um, that's something that we would have adapted in, in Tipperary and adapted when we were trying to get, maybe, you know, we had a, a huge amount of young players coming into the side and, you know, just allowing people to, to, to build a trust amongst each other when they were going out in the field and they're just being saying, look, I'm, I'm going to work really hard for you today. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. And, um, you know, so the first few chapters of it are, are very enlightening as regards that. And, you know, in terms of his non-negotiables, I think he said once in the film where a guy said he was going to die in the field today and leave it all out there. And he said, you know, it's only a game at the end of the day, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, he also said, what was it about it? Oh yeah, the perfect effort was what he was quoting. So something that we have huge control of ourselves, maybe as coaches, and maybe some, an idea of what we'd ask of our players rather than the old um, fire and brimstone in the dressing rooms. Yeah, I actually, I actually like that part at the start where where they had them extra goals and some of them are where we'll say uncontrollable, uncontrollables within the match, but some some of the other stuff in in, in the background were were very like they, they were smart smart goals, you know that S M A R T and. They can mm. they can be achieved and like we'll say in in, in you saying you've done that with with, with Tipperary, where, where girls did they hold themselves accountable to to doing the doing the extra work there possibly or or was it was it this stuff individual stuff away from the pitch or the on pitch stuff they were it it was really on pitch stuff and it was just like I've got your back today do you know what I mean we had a huge changeover and I suppose we had a lot of as I said, a lot of young girls coming in in, in in panels and stuff like that and just trying to build a, a bit of self-belief. And I suppose once you've said it and put it in words, you're kind of you're 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 you've kind of committed to it. So it's really a case then of going out in the field. And like we didn't need to say too much after that. No, I know we, we didn't have huge success, but in that year we got to a Munster final, we were beaten by Cork by a point, and we were beaten by Kenny an extra time in the league semi-final. Um, you know, I'm not putting it all down to that, but I'm just saying that really. The play, it allowed the players to take ownership of what we were trying to create, you know. And, and how did you find that the, the, the shyer and newer girls took to it? Did it take them uh, a bit of time and effort to get them to call out their their commitments or did they need a, a, like a, an older leader to start it off or what would that work? What we decided to do was do it in smaller units. So they were really, in, in terms of rather than standing up in a group of 20 or 25, that was literally maybe the six starting forwards on the day. You know, it could be the six backs, and then we talk to the subs, and the subs are going to say, "Look, you know, I'm not going to stand here with a long face for the day. I'm going to be as positive as I possibly can, and give the right type of energy and off the sideline and things like that." So, um, you know, it 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 worked that way. Um, 
And, uh, you know, as I said, as, as they went along, the first couple of times were a little bit awkward about it. I remember the first time we did it, the referee was getting <laughs> a bit peeved waiting for us to get out in the field or whatever. But they bought into it and got, got, got quicker at it or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I think they actually that began to put a bit of thought into it as they were coming to the game. And, like, that can't be a bad thing if you're coming to a game and thinking about what am I going to bring to it today, you know. I suppose in my own head now, as you're saying that to me, um, I'm thinking... Were, were some of the actual more experienced people more apprehensive about it or were they, were they the ones that kind of drove it and took it on board? Um, like I know Massey was saying about the more shyer, newer girls coming into the panel. Um, but it usually, usually kind of think they're, maybe they're a bit impressionable. They'll probably just do it. But was it some of the more experienced players? Was there any yeah. bit of fight back towards it? Yeah, I, I suppose it took a bit of buying in, but I suppose at the same time, um, the girls hadn't had a huge amount of success in the, in the years before, so they were quite receptive to, to what, what, what we tried to bring there. And look, they knew what we were about. We were trying to drive standards, you know, and, and um, they once they knew that that was the, 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 the reasoning behind it, I think they bought into it, you know. And like I suppose on, on the movie on Bob, like Coach Bob, like um, I don't, one of the things that stood out probably, and I probably... Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think he kind of was very much process driven as opposed to results that we try to do things right, um, be it morally or whatever other way. Um, but he was kind of always looking at the bigger picture as opposed to just the win. And I think the, the streak kind of was nearly an old hex on him for a long time, I'd imagine, was it? Seemed to be, didn't it? I think you, afterwards he kind of admitted it that he became more, you know, disappointed in himself to became more infatuated with the street than maybe and got as the gate, as it went on, got more infatuated with the process. But I thought it was interesting too that he seemed to realize early on in the film that the crew that was, uh, they didn't have a connection that particular year when the, the street broke. And I think he recognized that early on that they were going to be, you know, their connection wasn't really to the team, it was more to themselves. And I suppose if you remember that moment where he took them off, which I believe did happen, where he took them off to the to the veterinary hospital or the vet's hospital, the army vet's hospital, it wasn't until that moment that they sort of began to come together as a as a group. They were very much individually driven up to that. And then they kind of uh, you know, guys thinking about their their college careers and what was what was for them and what they could get out of it. And I mean, I think that culminated there in the end with the with the fellow who had the uh, the chance of the record of what was a number of touchdowns in the year, and you know the team meant more at that stage. I think that was just a a kind of a, a reflection on the journey they had undergone through the film, you know. Yeah, what what I liked about that as well was the probably something we'd see an awful lot, um, you know, like involved in let's say the high levels of uh, development squads and stuff like that is a lot of the time the parents try to do a lot of the driving and the, the children themselves while they might be receptive to it like kids that kind of are driven that much by the parents a lot of the time are the ones that kind of eventually fall away when they can make up their mm. own mind and I thought it was really interesting the way that um I think it was was a Chris or Kevin yeah. um yeah Chris like that, that he was able to kind of just you know, grow up and be the man and make his own decision as opposed to leaving his father dictate yeah. everything. And obviously the coach instilled that into him. Yeah, and it's very much, I think if you bring that back down to the, to the youngsters you're talking about, that that, that whole thing of the one good adult uh, in, in, in everybody's life making a difference, I think, you know, he's he, he obviously was conscious of that himself, the coach, in terms of the, the positive impact he could have on these, these guys' lives um, and what they could become. 
and you know I suppose driven by values or whatever I'm sure it's very much the same with our with our with our juvenile teams or underage you know it's really driven I suppose by the the personalities isn't it like you know you can have great talent or whatever but it's really how you frame it with the people around it that'll dictate how successful it is um, yeah, you know, you mentioned there, Brian, that um, the trip to the vet's hospital and like it, it was really good. But just within the film, I just really didn't like the way we'll say on the bus out there, we'll say the, the wide receiver moved your man out of the sea and it was literally he ended up with the, the piss getting spilled on him or whatever. And then he straight away back on the bus and it the change had happened instantly and I know it's for film or whatever yeah, yeah. we have to get it across in an hour and a half but it was like Jesus lads you could you could have waited 10 more minutes into the film before he has this deep and meaningful uh, yeah. character change you know yeah absolutely yeah kind of uh, <laughs> yeah they could have could have could have held us in suspense for a little longer I'm, I'm glad I didn't go that extra 10 minutes to be honest with you Paul <laughs> <laughs> but but like like that was that was a bit staged or whatever, but I, I really thought the way they handled Chris Chris Ryan and his opportunity to get the the record at the end, and we'll say just beforehand, uh, Coach Ladd had given the responsibility to Salinga, quarterback, to, yeah. yeah, to to make the calls and what plays are being made, and like obviously the team was driven towards we'll say Chris Ryan getting his individual success, which is the sign of a good team. But then Chris Ryan didn't want it all to have that success. And they brought it back to what Coach Ladd had had given to them. Like, uh, you know, I, I thought they'd they done it really well. And um, it was, it's it's like, and we, we laugh and joke about this a lot. It's probably one of the moments where, where Colin was getting a little bit teary watching it or whatever, you know, but... Um, it was it, it was it was well handled it was well handled yeah, I thought the, the, the thing whereby you know to, to Ryan it meant nothing the individual um, honours meant nothing if the team didn't get something from it I, I just thought that showed, showed huge growth and I suppose it would be a, something that we probably all tried to or, or you know endeavour to create within our group of players no matter the age wouldn't we yeah. And it is like, and it's it's it it's typically after the fact, we'll say when someone gets does achieve the the high score and or or gets an all star, gets player of the year awards, and they're like, oh, it's not about this, it's about the team, but that yeah. was a real, like that was I I thought it was really powerful that like the team does come first here, like I could very easily get this score, but that's not what it's about at all. Yeah, and and it's kind of, I suppose it reflects a small bit on that that dominant child that we all see in underage maybe dominating at the under 12 and the under 14 age groups or whatever the age group is, you know, that the physically dominant gets all the accolades and, you know, um, we all know that the, the, the pitfalls in that, I suppose. There was one thing I found very interesting in the, in the film and it's, relevant to a lot that goes on in, in sport and even over the last couple of weekends there is after their streak of 100 and how many games, 151 games that they went out and lost the next game again mm-hmm. and it's like say a club team that have won x amount of club titles in a row and once they lose one they lose that sense of 
into in what's the word? Can't even say it right. Into Villa. <laughs> I'm gonna try cutting that column. <laughs> <laughs> they lose that um aura about them and uh other teams then believe that we look if they're beaten once anybody can beat them or we can we have our chance at, like go back to Ireland beating the all blacks that time say five years ago in Chicago. If Ireland didn't beat them five years ago, would they've beaten them the last two times they've they've won their match or Curfin around say six or seven all our Ball of titles, they got beaten by Bellu last year and then got beaten in the final this year. It's mm-hmm. it, it's what's that what's that belief that everyone else gives when you see someone else beating the team? Like, is there anything that we can do that to stop that in the first place? Or I just I don't know, I, I can't word it right there, but it's just something I found interesting from the film. A long time to get out of a curve thing losing two years in a row, as that was. <laughs> But it's you know like it's it's very interesting because obviously in that in that school setting it's very much a different team every year, mm. but they do have that aura of invincibility, invincibility or whatever. That's like, the word. It's, it's similarly like we'll say back there a few weeks ago, we'll say Bally McCarberry won forty in a row in in Waterford Ladies yeah. Football Titles, and like I'd be fairly sure now there was no one on the first forty first title they won that's still there. Um, and like it's just like there ends up being teams that win certain matches in certain sports because of the crests on their the crest on their jersey, you know. Um, and we'll say a, a traditional thing where where people have come before them, we've lost to them. So Jesus, we'd be doing well if our next generation beats them. But then once when it flips. It's it's gone, gone then, you know. Um, so it is, look, I suppose that's one of the unpredictable natures of sport that it just happens and we can't we can't do anything about it when it when when it does happen, you know. Like a lot of teams are beaten before they go out just because of the history that's there. And it's like how how especially for a younger team that are coming up against uh one of these bigger teams or bigger counties, how can we get it into their heads that they have a chance that we can actually win this and not to think that we're beaten. Like if something goes wrong in the match, oh, that's the end of the match or something's going to happen here. We're going to see two goals now. Is there anything we can say or talk about or how do we process that? Or is that something for the sports psychologists? I suppose the thing really going out there, really like you uh, I hear it there, some of the language that Ireland use around the All Blacks being they're only human as well, you know, in terms of playing the, 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 the aura and the tradition and all that and what they've done beforehand, but they're literally 15 guys on the field. Now, I know that might be seen as a bit simplistic, but sometimes I think if you're beaten before you go out, you're putting too much stead on the previous and not the next 60 minutes and winning the next moment and, and, and all those kind of things. I think you have to keep it really much in the present the time you're on the field and yeah, maybe set your, 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 your goals that you want to do on the field, but you know keep it very much within the... The 60 minutes ahead um, because you can do nothing about what has gone before that I think um, that, that, that that will be my approach to it I think and I suppose it also gives that siege mentality if you can go out with that that you can give it an unmerciful effort and you never know what comes off Sorry I was just saying just like you, you did kind of mention it Paul about uh, you got those teams that are winning all the time is one thing but also the teams that never win like just breaking that first duck is is mm. I suppose it's probably it's probably one of the hardest things in like I know county final season at the moment and we 
like winning county titles or all Ireland titles involved in inter-county, it's unbelievably difficult yeah. um, to do, you know, and for, for clubs that have a bit of a tradition of it, it just seems that, that the ball might just break a little bit easier for them sometimes, but it's, um, it is a big thing. One of the things that I, that I liked about the, the um, coach lad was when he wasn't the coach and Danny was looking, or Denny was looking for advice and he said, I'm not your coach, talk to coach, whoever the, the interim coach was at the time. And I suppose from a, from a coaching perspective, like parenting, parents over emphasis on it a lot of the time can be, I suppose, disruptive to the, the individual player. Um, whereas he obviously had seen the, the counter of it where parents might have been, as I said, helicopter parenting the kids on the training pitch and stuff like that. Um, and it's I suppose it, it's something that that we need to as coach coaches and coach educators to like do we actually spend enough time with parents about their role like we talk to coaches we talk to players we talk to club officials and all that but how much time or how much stock do we actually should we put into the role of the parent into I suppose the the culture you're trying to achieve with your group I suppose yeah like it's it's it, it's a huge it, it is a huge part of it, I suppose, and you'd see it like, you know, I don't know, what, what, what have, has, have you found any difference with the parents' pre and post-COVID interactions and, and you know, influences and, and commitments or whatever? I, I, I don't know, I'm only dealing with a small sample size, for want of a better word, do you know what I mean? But overall, would you find that they're more in tune with it now? They obviously knew the, the 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 benefits of it, but like in terms of, is it more helicopter drop off, drop, and and pick up, or is it? I don't know. Um, I know Potty, for example, Potty Potty Butler in our own club would very much be very very keen on with under sixes that every player, every every parent is a coach basically, and they're taking two or three, and if they're doing a ball wall session, they all have a huge involvement in it, and that's a responsibility, and it's taken a bit of a while to get that going in our club but now any parent who comes any child that comes their parent is involved uh, I think it's huge um, and you know probably only party would be able to, 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 to demand that and get it you know within our within our club but I, I think it's a good place to start and his point being that if parents tune out from it at that stage and just allow to hand over the child to the, to the coach um, well you're making their exit easy and I suppose not, not, not being critical or anything like that but it's going to be very hard maybe to get those parents involved further down the line. Yeah, like I think we, we, we all know from our time as, as GPOs that getting parents involved coaching at the nursery at five, six, seven is probably the only time you really will get them unless they come from a strong coaching, you know, a strong playing background, a sporting background. Um, but I, I can't remember who it was now, and I don't know, was it one of our, our recent guests, but they were saying about in the past, um, as said, one of you might have heard as well, they were saying in the past that they used to just put their head down from the parents and just walk past and just worry about kids. But they realized after a while that you actually have to, the parents are nearly as influential to the kids and having them on board and up to date on what you're trying to do and stuff like that is uh, is really important. So I don't know if any of you, I can't remember who said it in the last few weeks, but it was somebody said it like, and like like that now, I'd, I'd go around a lot of time past parents put their head down um, because there's so many of them and, I'd get to know the kids' names and that's it. I'm happy enough if I can get that far. But trying to know all the parents' names then and what they're coming from and their angle and stuff like that. Mm. Um, 
it can be also problematic, but it's just an added layer of stuff that you need to do as a coach that might take away from what you think is important. Yeah, and like I suppose it touches a lot, lot, lot of things there. It's not just, say, from going home and practicing the skills point of view with the child, really, isn't it? It's, it's, it's I suppose, kind of encouraging them to be involved in different things and, and taking them out and, you know, then poking the ball in the evening times. My own dad was huge in that. And you come home from work after a day and it's only in later life you appreciate it, how much it took, you know, of an effort after a long day's work to come out. And you, you pull and let him to come out and poke at you for an hour, an hour and a half outside. But I think it's a huge, huge thing. And I don't know, does it happen as much maybe as it did when we were young? No, definitely, definitely not. Um, I think there's kids, you don't see them playing on the streets as much as they were. We're more, more protective of them, maybe. We're more aware of what's happened around us in the X amount of years. And we're more protective of our children in case something happens to them. But definitely you don't see the children playing as much as they once were. And now with COVID, you see club structures maybe slightly changed where before nurseries may have been a football and a hurling nursery. Now it might be football one week, hurling the next week due to time and changing gear and stuff like that, where now a child might pick up a hurl for two weeks. For example, I've seen that happen in a number of clubs. And as a result, I do think we're probably younger children are probably a little bit further behind where they should be at the moment compared to a number of years ago. And there's numerous reasons behind that. But I definitely think the element of play is something that's very, very important for children. And just get them on the field and having a laugh. Yeah. Make them like have a, as much fun we, as they can. We, we, we finished up the year with our under-15s there a week or so ago. And, uh, you know, there'd be... There'd be so we, we brought our players who were actually underage next year and played nine aside against uh, three of the other teams in our area. Just guys who wouldn't have had played all year, kept away yeah. the guys who were involved with squads. And uh, there was no medals, there was no nothing at the end of it. The guys just loved getting out. And one particular moment sticks my memory of a memory of a player who got a goal. And I know that's what will bring him back to the field next year, not yeah. all the nights that we trained on the ball wall or in the, in the, or the drills that we did or anything like that. But that kind of moment, that 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 light bulb for him really is what will bring him back next year and creating as many of those for them or giving them the opportunity through games I think is huge yeah and, and play as many games as they can as well like it's like the kids just love playing games and it's, it's like it's it's massive and like, like we missed out nearly a whole year of it there and there's a, there's a lot of catch up there and I'd be interested to find out is was there much of a drop off as a result of COVID over the last 18 months um, with teams compared to uh, teams X amount of years ago? Or is it a case that because children, as we sort of mentioned it there earlier on, as a result of children didn't have the opportunity to play, the parents are more appreciative of the games being provided and are more willing to get involved or bring their kids down to training? Um, it'd be interesting to see what the numbers are like compared in a couple of years' time and from a couple of years beforehand. Yeah, I think the second lockdown, I'm sure you probably talked about it, but like the first lockdown and the time of year that it happened, kids just seemed and the weather was really nice yeah. that time. They seemed to be explore, out exploring, you know, within their 5K. But I think the second lockdown there, kind of January to March and the time of year that we're in, I don't know whether that could have been seen as an opportunity to do remote stuff. It probably drove people mad all these Zoom sessions. But I don't know that that maybe have more effect on the player maybe than the earlier time in the year. Do you know that... Yeah. I suppose there was more opportunities for free play during the first lockdown than there was in yeah. the second lockdown. 
it didn't like it was March time and the weather was perfect. So I know I remember her own kids. We got a trampoline. Lucky enough, we got a trampoline and out the backyard every day. If it happened the other way around, for the second lockdown, when it was dark and it was dreary and it was miserable, um, I the experience would have been a lot tougher to take. From clubs, uh, from club GA clubs that I know of, I think there was most of them would have had an upturn in numbers and consistency of numbers training and participating. Um, and I think a lot of it was because there was nothing else to do. A lot of the indoor activities were all shut down um, until recently. So yeah. let's say if you had a child doing gymnastics or dance or anything like that, there was nothing for them. Um, so a lot of GA clubs, especially in, in the urban areas, had an upturn in numbers. But like from my own, like we we held 208 blitzes and 207 blitzes in October in Cork in Farky Cueve and the Astroturf. And um, like we would have felt... No, it was pure eye test, no skill test or nothing, that the under sevens were way behind what under sevens would have been before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just that lack of training and game time and actually being holding the hurley and kicking the football, um, the lack of actually doing that on a consistent basis really knocked him back. And that, that's an age group as well where, like Matthew, you know, I, I, I think I don't know, it's easier around that age you now where, like, the six and seven is kind of when they really start getting into it. Um, you know, the nursery at four yeah. or five, if they're down there, they're just down there with for fun. But it's six and seven because they're in, in primary school as well. They might be seeing Skeena School or coming to Munch School teams and stuff like that. It just becomes a little bit more into them. Um, but we just, yeah. Yeah. as I said, from the eye test, it just, the, the, the eights and the sevens now, there is a big jump anyway, but it looked absolutely enormous, the gap between what they were doing, you know, I think the sevens just mm. their first year of proper training and games and stuff like that. Um, so no, look, I said everybody's in the same boat, I'd imagine, um, and it'll all balance out county wide and club wise and stuff like that. But I, I did think it was, it was probably something looking back now, like is could there been something differently done? As you said, Brian, like the, the remote sessions, there's only so much of that people can do, and but like what could we do to yeah. that little gap, you know? I, I concur a bit there. I suppose we, we had, uh, would have, you know, when we went back to school, um, the way we went back in the staggered entry, we were back for a couple of weeks when we were coaching beginning in the school and we were kind of conscious that they'd finished up for them in March when they would have been coming to the pitch the first time round. And um, they were coming back then, second time round, and then... then I suppose it, it kind of finished again. If I, I can't remember the dates now, but it's sort of, they had a curtailed year that year then when they came back um, and was just even trying to get them used to the session and the basics. And I think it was really, you know, you didn't want to get bogged down too much on, shall we call them, I hate the word now, fundamentals, but if you know what I mean, the, the kind yeah. of the essential skills of the game, because they were just mad to be out and playing and that all because all that had been moved and all that energy hadn't been expended, you know, you always find, say, in a P lesson or in a, in, in a session that you'd have a little energy burner at the start to get them sort of receptive to what you'd be kind of trying to do and just get them into the zone where you'd be get a few more seconds concentration out of them. That wasn't there. That hadn't been done. So I just found that it was an experience. on It took an awful lot more organization, um, needed more coaches, a lot more station teaching, a lot smaller groups to be able to do anything uh, purposeful um that's what i found anyway and i talked to a couple of other coaches to kind of contact me and said you know he had 
45 or 46 under under sixes and eights and really didn't know where to begin and wanted to oversee it had had loads of help but wasn't sure if it was the right kind of help really that that you know that they wouldn't kind of uh you know he just found it really really hard to get around and make sure that they were doing everything that he had wanted to do and they were adhering to the coaching plan and so on and I don't know I think maybe you just have to go with it really don't you if you kind of take a step back are they enjoying the game and try and fix maybe some things as as you go along one thing we did with the hurling with the small kids starting is we bought tiny mini hurls uh 18 19 inch hurlies with them and found that 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 really helped at the beginning just in terms of their first interactions with the game uh they could hit a ball or they could pull it in the ground and you know the hurley was nice and tight to their body when they were swinging it and you know uh it was nice and light uh just found that that things like that helped you know it it it, it uh it got them off to a good start anyway because they just found with the, the the you know the hurley which would have been the normal size you know they were getting bogged down and stuff that would if you look put yourself in the child's shoes you'd be frustrated yourself do you know what i mean so trying to trying to make those things a little bit more attainable for them like even socially uh a lot of children found it hard to adapt being back i guess like you think of the, like it's the current first class boys and girls this year please god will be the first ever full year in school where yeah. like say third years in secondary school their last first uh, full year in school is when they were in sixth class like they've missed a lot a lot of growing up and interactions and learning like i know for my own three-year-old that he wouldn't have been used to people, you know, missing out and that's uh, the last 18 months are dealing with people and how uh, how to play with them compared to, to his older brother and sister and they're at that age and like any time they, they have friends around now, he just wants to go baiting them. For example, <laughs> he just doesn't know, he just yeah. doesn't know how to react. So it's, it's something everyone, I think everyone has missed out and that, that's reflected when you go back to the club and you're trying to coach six and seven year olds and they may be a little bit more difficult to coach now than they were, say, the six and seven year olds from three or four years ago who used to interact in the school and doing PE and getting their coaches in, etc. So I think we just have to be a little bit more patient with the that age group at the moment, six, seven, eight, nine year olds. But we'll get there. Absolutely. One of the things in the in the movie as well that kept up came up and I suppose from a GA coaching perspective, we'd see an awful lot of it would be the when the offer, the bigger offer from the, the college football team came in. Um no, oh, he must have been on some pay packet uh, as a teacher. I don't know how much you get paid, Brian. You must be getting a load of it if you're going to turn down 350000 a year. Um, but, but it was uh, it was a kind of something that you'd see the, the loyalty in question. Um, and, like, obviously the college is a higher profile, but, like, maybe the high school he was at was, was as high a profile gig, maybe not as well paying, um, and maybe the career prospects beyond it mightn't have been there but he seemed kind of happy to he was comfortable had his kind of set up and was like yeah I, I'm just going to stay here whereas we'd see an awful lot of time in the GA and I know like Paul spoke about before about um, uh, margins of convenience essentially like we'd see people kind of going taking roles and coaches or managers when it mightn't be the right time for them but they just kind of feel we got to do it Um so I thought that, I thought that was a really nice touch that he, he stayed with it. And as far as well, the film said, he was still there in 2014, um, 10 years later. Like, so, um, like it, it is important to be comfortable within your own setting as a coach that you're not, mm-hmm. like, I suppose you have to put yourself in the bright lights. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, as well with that, like, the, the different um, 
the different sections of the GA are so vastly different as well. And different clubs have different cultures. Like we'll say Kille in comparison to Nafina are vastly different clubs. Um, underage intercounty where it's about development is completely different to senior intercounty where it like it is about winning a lot of the time not not all the time but like if you're not winning you're you're coming under pressure because development doesn't cut the mustard um, and then any of your school setting and some people are really good in the school setting and can transfer to to looking after a senior club team or people are really good in a third level environment but they can't go into the intercounty environment so all them things are so different and like coach lad had an environment there where he he got so obviously he's 20 plus years of experience of, of working with young lads and a young lad a 16 year old now dealing with a 16-year-old the following year, dealing with a 16-year-old the following year, there's constantly change. And as long as he's developing, which he, he obviously was, or, or any coach is developing and learning on, we'll say, having 20 years of growing experience rather than one year of experience 20 times, as long as you're getting that sort of a, a situation in, you're you're in good state. And maybe maybe you don't need to, to move to a different environment because if you're changing things subtly all the time to make your practice better, you don't need to go off and, and, and seek a, a challenge in a different environment or setting. He was happy. like so. If, if somebody's happy doing something, why why change it? Unless you're driven by a challenge, but he seemed to be just very content in himself and he, he thought that the children, or sorry, the pupils and his team needed him, as in they were gaining experience about life from him, and that was that's what it was his motivation, I believe. He thought it'd be, a, as you mentioned there yourself, it'd be a different clientele com- completely when he was in college, probably with a different type of pressure that he wasn't used to, maybe he was comfortable as well. That's another thing, but um, if you're happy doing something, you don't always have to go chasing something else. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you kind of live with your choices and be happy about them. Do you know what I mean? And uh, like, I suppose he wasn't, as he said, he wasn't fully driven by the results. Now I'm sure somewhere along the line he was absolutely gutted when they lost that streak. But at the same time, he seemed to put more stead into into the kind of the creation. And maybe this maybe answers why he didn't go to the college side of things, which would be very much governed by more so by results, but I think he was kind of happy that these guys, it was a homeschool football team, they were going to become members of the community and he took great pride in maybe them having a positive influence in their community and, you know, comes back, as I say, to being the, the good adult in their lives that maybe facilitates them making good good decisions and by them, good decisions, they're affecting a huge amount of people as well, you know, so I think maybe that waterfall effect. And as well, Brian, there was, there was a real good scene towards the end of the film as they were preparing for for the the final mm. and there was the the promotion of it on the on the television at home in the house and the junior who was a junior in the school started talking about oh we won our first two games and by the time we finish school we're gonna have a 33 winning game streak and like his disgust yeah. in that fella who was we'll say maybe three years from getting to being on his team that that was the mentality he was thinking and going Jesus I 
I need, it's nearly I need to stay here because that's not the mindset we want people to be coming out with. And isn't that kind of reflected in the two storylines of the last number of years? You know, if you get the club championship, remember the Dr. Croaks and the Cora Finn uh, storyline that they were, you know, they weren't really chasing success at underage. They were really concentrating on, 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 on creating characters that could fit into their, um, into their adult systems down the line and, and, you know, be positive club members. And, you know, they concentrated more on the, what would you say, the... the, 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 the um, yeah, yeah. Developing the character of the person, I suppose, as much as the, as the, the, the lining their pockets with medals. And I, I suppose is, is there is there something in that? Absolutely. If there if there if you can get your players and underage players to become senior players, you're done a very good job. And you get them to become senior players that fit into a senior team straight away, you've done an unbelievable job. Mm. So it's um like like a lot of them clubs you mentioned, Parfin, Crokes, Cross McGlen, Nemo Rangers, etc. They, they mightn't worry too much about underage success, but they know if they develop the players and develop characters that the club will be stronger for it in the long term. And I think that's a, a something that a lot of clubs should look at. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the things in the GA um, is the, the competitive nature of it has kind of taken away a lot of those, the opportunity for those values to be nurtured. Mm. Um in that, let's say, Brian, you're doing a fucking great job at Tipperary Camogie. The girls are really, you know, improved as people. They're going back to their clubs, personality, the boys, they're great. But if you're not getting results, people are going, nah, sorry, Brian, good luck, you know. Yeah. And for that group of 30 or 40 or 50 girls over the last three years that might have had a really good experience, really enjoyed what they were doing. Um, and if they're enjoying on the pitch, they'll bring that back to their, their life, be it in school or college or whatever. But if the results aren't there, there's somebody chomping at the bit for for your head, and uh, I suppose it's it's just the way the GA has gone up. Paul has mentioned well ago about the differences between intercounty senior and under thirteen development squads, or even club teams, a club second team even um, at underage. But it's uh, a lot of the time the top the top end of it is just purely results driven. I know you mentioned Carfin and Cross McGlynn and those clubs, but like. There, there has to be a huge fall off of people in those clubs that don't come true. Um, and are they still nurtured within the club? Or do we just hear about them as a success because they win counties, they win All-Irelands. These are the good things they do, but is there stuff behind that we're not seeing? Do you know, is the, is the fellow who may have been a junior B footballer just left at that and not, is he not brought along as part of the culture? Um, I don't know, I said I'm just trying to get a solicitor's letter out from some club. Um, for slander and um, you know it's just it's just when we mention all these big town teams um, I still look at the, the rate of attrition that these clubs have compared to a small rural club as regards if if I'm Nemo Rangers Nemo Rangers probably have make sure look there were the Blitz a couple of weeks ago where they had at least 30 kids at under 8 you know um, and if if the good kids keep playing and the weak kids are stopped playing and fall out of the GA club like how much of a responsibility is there you know how great can we say if we're like I, I'd like to think that that my own kids in time will being a part of a GA club won't be about being successful and winning matches and being on the first team I like to think that they'll still be given something back in some capacity 
be it 20, 30, 40 this time, regardless of whether it's successful on the pitch or not. Um, yeah. I think, think you'll be talking there about legacies, Colin. You're just talking about Coach Ladd and his legacy. I think that's a, a really positive legacy for a club to have. If you're somebody that's kind of gone to school in the local primary school and has played for the club and has kept some link in, be a coaching or played or whatever, and comes back and decides to settle in the parish and give something back to the club again and you know, they're building the parish, maybe their children go to the local school and it keeps regenerating itself like that. I think that's, a, I really think that, that, that that's one of the things that's often overlooked from a GA and the positive effect the GA club can have in a community, a rural community particularly. Anything else on the movie that stood out for you, any of you? Just being conscious, we'll say again, for, for coach, the amount of time that they're investing into, into their sport and, Obviously, the well-being of, of players is something that's massive now and making sure that there's no burnout of players because they're playing on multiple teams. Um, but coaches invest in the amount of time they're investing into coaching and it's it, it, it's a voluntary role for for most people um, and they're doing it alongside their, their day job. That It does have that opportunity to, to go dark at times, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I thought it was... You know, just as I suppose the more awareness of it that that's out there, and it is something that, that I've seen a little bit across um, some Twitter platforms in recent in, in recent weeks now. I do yeah. think it's it, it's something that's really important. Yeah, and I think like look, coaching wise, and absolutely no expert on it, and still learning every day I go out. But like, I think it really has to be about your. Your, your perspective it comes back if you're driven by sort of material gains too much I think when they're not when that dries up or if they're if they're if they're not forthcoming maybe your love or what you're going to get out of it as a coach isn't as much as it is if you're if you're, if you're creating positive experiences for the child like I mean you know kind of going off point a bit there but like we're talking about the dominant child I mean the, the, the aim for us really is to make sure that in five years time, when he comes up against guys who are physically as able as him or her and as and, and, and as competent skill-wise as him or her, that we've given him enough or her enough to hold up on because if we're going to concentrate fully on them being physically dominant and winning us games and scoring six goals and five goals in, in under 12 games, we're probably failing them ultimately. Do you know what I mean? In terms of what they're what, what they can get out of it long term. And you know what? that child that gets the five or the six goals at under 12, it hazard a guess, but there's a fair few of them fall out of the game quicker than the lad who doesn't score because the same material gains aren't there or aren't for them. So I think like, that, you know, those perspectives, that comes back to what's the, the coach's perspective. Am I, am I motivated by, by, by success or am I really looking at creating a chance where this child can, or can go on to become an adult player within the club or a, a minor player and maybe like myself I finished playing at 24-25 through injury I was no loss to any team anyway but like that I went back and coached with the club and I have to put that down to the to the people around me Paddy Butler say Tommy his brother who gave me the first coach my own dad in terms of the the what they created for me do you know there was uh, two things I liked from the film uh, I liked his uh, assistant coach he was a good guy and he was uh, he was well able to he knew his role and he did it very well. And yeah. my favorite part, my favorite part of the film was actually in the end credits when they had their real life um, coach giving a speech in the dressing room or at the funeral. And uh, one of the one of the lines he used was, uh, 
growing up ain't easy and I thought it was a good line for for teenagers um, when you're coaching teenagers you don't know what they're going through or how they're what's going on in their lives and their school life and their social life and their their family life and we just must might have sometimes just have to step back and just actually think about what's happening to them before we make judgments on them I suppose it's it's um yeah again it's 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 not losing sight of what's important isn't it yeah absolutely 100 percent there as well in the film um the competitive strategy the competitive strategy emergency meeting was something that i i thought was interesting as well from from a gaelic games perspective and we've talked about big town clubs and um obviously super clubs and in, in in different counties we spent a lot of time we spent a lot of time talking today about because we're in that county final season talk about people teams who've been successful in winning counties you know and at senior level but like the junior stuff and the junior b stuff and that's just as important because that's their all Ireland to be to be winning you know and um like and and it's it's only going to get more difficult in 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 the coming years for uh for the ga and, and the, the lgfa and the camogias as some clubs just continue to grow just because of the way the the population of the country is going etc and we are going to have them super clubs and there, there needs to be a bit of a, a strategy around that and equally at, at county level some some are overly su- successful and, and, and others aren't and I suppose if you would say last month there was all the talk about the, the proposal B and, and, and coming in as, as a new format but sure like realistically it wasn't going to make a jot of difference mm. um, to to what was going on you know it was it was just going to give a few more games to a, a cohort of people who are who already have a load of games. And it's there's, I just thought it was interesting in the film the, the, the way they done it, where they got all the teams into the room and descended into a shouting match against each other. Yeah. <laughs> the Americans, the Americans are very good for the the fairness, like as regards even the professional sports with traps and stuff. But it was, it's interesting. I was just saying that, Paul, because uh, like. As you know, we were talking recently about the Harkey Cup. Um, and in Cork, we're gone from, I think there was six, six if not seven teams from Cork in the Harkey Cup, maybe four years ago, down to four this year. And a lot of that is players are kind of being hoovered up into two or three of the main schools. Um, and it's, look, it's happening here. It's happening forever with St. Cairns um, and Kilkenny hoovering up players and Turles CBS and probably in Tipperary and Art School Reach, you know, where you get players going from a B school to join one of these superpowers. And I suppose from a development squad perspective and from a county team perspective, you say, great, that's, yeah, that's perfect because we got some players in these four schools. We can really put the resources in there. But from, from I suppose, the greater global good of the GA, would it not be better if a lot of these B schools were a little bit more competitive? The teachers were incentivized because their county player is on the team as opposed to, like, imagine you know, if you're in one school and you got two county players of under 16 and 17, you're going, these boys are serious players. The following year, both of them transfer out to one of these big superpowers. Like, are you as a teacher incentivized to go out and train the rest of those boys as much as you would have been if you had a chance to win it? Um, if the competitive imbalance has just gone so bad. Um, so it's something, look, 
I said it's it's something that's that's happening. Something happening like, inter, at interversity level as well. A lot of a lot of kids would would go choose from the GA perspective on what school they're going to play. Come all year, ladies football or hurling or football or any sport, handball, whatever it is. But I just think it's something that the GA. I don't know if they'll ever really be able to get a grasp on on that. Um, keeping that kind of a competitive imbalance or competitive balance there because. It's it's just it's tough as you said. The uh, demographics are just just so so changing constantly, and the GA is very very slow to 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 move with it a lot of times. Yeah, as you said, the the, the it's interesting. I think in 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 the in the argument there, it's probably to show you the complexity of it. While there was talking a number of years ago, I think it was a Brian Cooper brought out the, the the whole thing as regards development squads and running them through the secondary schools and. That's been shown to be a good model from the development squad point of view, but you're only talking about the top elite, two, three, maybe five percent max, I suppose, within a county that's catered for by them. So, what in essence is 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 going to happen to the other ninety-five? I don't think we'll solve the problem. And uh, over a few points, I might might go deeper into that. You'll you'll try anyway, Colin. I'll try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just one question there, Brian, before I go, just come back to your role as a, as a PE educator. Um, how do you find the way to motivate a teacher who has no interest in sport? Is it something that's difficult? I suppose it's not too different from the, the coaching point of view um, mm -hmm. in that our PE teachers and their studies on this are our... our experience or what we deliver in PE is very much dictated by our own experiences of the subject. Do you know, if we had good experiences, and as I mentioned to people, Paddy wasn't my principal, he was in the other school in the parish, but Martin Ryan was my principal and we had huge positive experiences with, with PE. It's amazing when you'd sit down with a number of teachers in a, in a, in, in a room and just find what their experiences were of it. And then you, you, you kind of turn that into when you're doing a practical session with them. And it very much does equate that person who had either reluctant experiences of it or, you know, that if you weren't playing the GA game, you weren't, you weren't getting any PE. Uh, it's amazing how many people have had that experience. It is quite difficult and it is, it is a challenge. But I suppose what you are trying to show is that the, the, the emotional benefits for the child, they, 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 physical and emotional benefits for the child on top of everything else can't be something that we really ignore as teachers. Do you know what I mean? And if we are only able to play four or five games, you know, or there's four or five acti go-to activities that we can do, well, that's brilliant. Let's bring those to the yard every single day. The child won't get sick of playing rounders or kick rounders or kick a cricket or whatever game that you decide to bring to the yard, they'll love it. You know, and, and I think that's key so that for every teacher, even the, the reluctant one, you know, get out there and like it, it, it's, it's just what it teaches them, the, 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 the self-efficacy and the empathy that they develop, the child develop, I just, if they don't get it in any other subject, you know, and, and I actually think it does help in terms of if a child is experiencing that and i'm probably going on the rant here now they're also able to deal with some of the emotional baggage that comes on a on a ga pitch or a soccer pitch that little bit better than if they haven't experienced the, the winning and losing in a, on a p yard if you know what i mean you know inside in schools so um it, it is a challenge and as i say it's very much dictated by people's own experience but what you're trying to do is 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 talk to the teacher in an open way and just say, look, 
is there any way you know what what's your what's your own kind of reluctance around it try and remove that reluctance and maybe give them some some go-to activities that are easily organized and that they can throw in with any group you know and uh like, look, every teacher, it's the same. You have a teacher who might be into drama or whatever, you know, and we all remember the teacher who loved history and geography, but we remember them because of the effect they had on us. And you're trying to encourage teachers to realize the effect that they will have on the child, you know, by, by encouraging the PE. Very good. Excellent. Brilliant stuff, Brian. Um, look, we, will you tell us where can people find you on Twitter and the, the app and stuff like that? Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so look, at Pam underscore Ireland is the is the Twitter page, and all, all resources kind of go out through that. Um, the 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 mobile app, I developed it myself, so it was it it was fairly it's fairly basic. It wasn't accepted by the the i i store. So if there's anybody out there who who's willing to to take it on and, and and design it for 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 use in iOS, I'd be more than more than grateful. But um, it's only available on Android at the moment, and. We, we, we brought out a couple of magazines there online as well, which with some brilliant articles from the likes of uh, Richard Bowles and Phil Kearney and, and even Coleman Nocter and, and people like that that are available on the website that are just, you know, um, a particularly good one there, Phil Kearney put in the last one, particularly with a teacher who might be reluctant to pee, was the, the recycling of setups and things like that. So we're not constantly changing the posts and cones and just some nice ideas around that so you know they're, they're they're all available on the on the app if you have android and if not just um it's it's a google site www.pamireland.com and to bring it to the to the website and uh, there's a list of podcasts and different things there as well so I, I think i i'm lucky enough to, to be an android man brian so i got a feeling the two boys are, are apple um <laughs> Wrong, but I got a feeling, yeah, that, that it did. Um, so look, that's great, Brian. Look, thanks very much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. Look, and hopefully we'll we'll talk to you in, in the in the near future. Thanks, Lads, thanks a million. Really enjoyed Thank the you. opportunity and love the chat. Thank you. We are into season five now, so thanks to everyone who has listened so far. We would be grateful if you would take the time to give us a retweet on Twitter or just share it with your friends. It would also be great if you give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us, and we really appreciate it. Hope you all had a great week and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week, everybody.